If you have kids, feel free to let them go downstairs. I know John has a fun song for the kids. Really glad to be here this morning. Um, Like Mike said, Megan and I are covenant members here at the Vine. We um, also do full-time ministry in Norman with Crew. Uh, You might know it as Campus Crusade for Christ, and we love it. Um, Yeah, we get to talk about the gospel with students on a regular basis, and I love the, as far as uh, worship, the songs that Don picked, um, just talking about how life is from God, and a university where a lot of people think life, a lot of students believe and are told that life comes from their future career, um, the plans that they have or relationships. Um, it's incredible to be able to talk about how true life comes from God. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, more or less. Um, uh, and I wrote this before Christmas. And then if you've been, if this is your first time at the Vine, we do things pretty in an organic way. And so last night I decided to scrap my talk and rewrite it. Um, so I'm just going to trust that it is God's word and that he speaks. So it's not me. Um, I'm just going to try to go through what God says is true um, of us and of his character. So uh, Christmas has been, this December actually has been interesting uh, for us. Uh, last week, there's some really good things. We spent time with family um, in Tulsa. My nephew's got fart guns. I don't know if you guys have seen Despicable Me. I don't know, but you pump them and then there's a speaker and they fire and then, I don't know, he's three years old and finds it really amusing. So um, it's like family fun, uh, spending time at Christmas, um, celebrating Christ and doing Advent here. Um, but also uh, kind of an unexpected difficult thing, a friend of mine um, that was on staff with Young Life um, Ministry in Malawi died in a car wreck. Um, she was single, 32, I think, and had surrendered her life to the Lord and felt him calling her to Africa. And, and so Megan and I, about two weeks ago, went to the funeral in Tulsa. And hearing people talk about her life and talk about how she loved um, in close relationships and also just acquaintances really got me thinking. Um, it got me kind of thinking about 2013 and 2014 and who I want to be, how I want to grow. And it really made me start to think, I want to be somebody that loves well. Like I want, I have the tendency to speak truth before grace. And and so I I would love for my New Year's resolution to be, man, I want to love well just people that I meet on an everyday basis, but also my closest relationships. Um, And I don't know if you've seen the statistic, but New Year's resolutions, there's the... There's been this statistic that's it's popped up on Facebook like a hundred times for me in the last like three weeks. Uh, and so I kind of researched it, and there's a study the university did and then published it in the Journal of Clinical Psychology for 2012, reported that 40% of Americans make resolutions. So in the coming year, it's a lot of people. It's almost every other person makes a New Year's resolution. Uh, however, only 8% reach their goal. So 92% of people that make resolutions fail it's really interesting. And so as I think through my own New Year's resolution of, okay, how I want my character to change, how I want to be a different person, I also think through, it's like, okay, how do I not just fail? Um, like, how do we succeed in growing spiritually? Or why do, why do we as Americans fail in, in our, our New Year's resolutions? Like, for the most part, the top ten list was um, losing weight, was spending more time with family, 
valuing relationships, working less, things like that. For us, what would it look like as a church? What are our New Year's resolutions? And how, how do we um, kind of break the norm in America of failing? And I, as I was thinking through this, I think really in a lot of ways, it's not lack of methodology that's the problem. Um, our family is available to us. There are gyms on every corner, right? It's not that it's not available to us. I think rather it's uh, a lack of motivation. Um, in any, any given day, when we fail at that New Year's resolution, um, we're not motivated. So how do we as believers in Christ stay motivated to grow spiritually um, in our relationship with God? So I could, and, and I, I would hope that a lot of people don't, um, this Sunday before the New Year and the Sunday afterward, simply get up in front of the congregation, give a list of do's and don'ts. Um, this is who we are as Christians. These are the things we do. These are the things we don't do. We're going to give out cookies next Sunday for people that have been doing well. We could set up a list of, of rewards, but I'm not going to do that primarily because it's stupid. Um, for these more serious three reasons, okay? The first is this. Um, giving a list of right and wrongs doesn't work um, because behavior modification does not heal our sin sickness. And I'll explain what that means. What we do is when we realize that there's something about us that we want to change, our initial reaction is, okay, these are the actions that I need to do differently. Okay, so for me, um, if I want to be a more loving person, if I want to, to engage people in a loving way, yeah, I could count how many friendships I have and make sure that on average I'm send, saying five compliments a week, right? I could set up this great strategy. But that doesn't change my heart necessarily to be a more compassionate person. It doesn't make me actually indifferent toward what's going on in their lives. There's really maybe nothing that changes inside of me, even though I change my external. So we tend to focus on sin really as symptoms. Um, and a great analogy would be like a physician, right? If there's a patient in the hospital that has a, a high-grade fever, and the, and the doctor comes in and says, okay, the nurse says what we're going to do. We're just going to pack him down with ice. We're just going to lower that fever, solve the problem. We all know that doesn't work because the fever is just a symptom of a deeper sickness. Instead, the doctor needs to go to the issue and heal the patient, and the fever will go down, right? Likewise with our sin, we can't just try to cover up the symptoms of the true sickness um, that we have a sinful nature within us, right? And so that's why, that's the first reason. Behavior modification doesn't heal the sickness. So there's not going to be lists. Um, second reason, and then I'm not going to give lists, is because focusing on things Doing things can become legalistic. What I mean when I say legalistic um, is this. It's trying to legally justify ourselves before God. Um, and so a lot of times when we, uh, when we realize that there's something about us that needs to change, we think that we can do other good things to cancel that out. We, we may not say that we do that, but we do. Um, we, we will approach God after we've done some good things um, rather than immediately after we find ourselves caught in sin. Uh, and so the goal ends up, but can end up becoming us trying to clean up before God rather than simply worshiping him. Uh, so that's the second reason. First one, behavior modification doesn't heal the sickness. Second is focusing on things, doing things can become legalistic. And the third reason is moralistic lists aren't what Jesus brought. Okay? Um, he came with good news. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, and so, those are the three reasons I'm not bringing lists. Yet, that runs up against, in a lot of ways, how Jesus valued righteousness. 
if you read through if you read through the gospels and you read through the bible it's very clear that holiness our pursuit of godliness is very important um so how do we reconcile this idea of okay, making lists and setting really specific goals in a lot of ways can be very dangerous spiritually when we have a God that really does desire for us to walk in holiness and godliness? Um, so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to pray, and if you'll flip with me to Second Peter, um, we're going to read a few verses there this morning. God, thank you for this morning that we can gather and talk about who you are. God, talk about what you've done for us. We pray that as we leave this place that we would be people worshiping you. Um, God, that we we wouldn't be um, scrambling people trying to make, um, yeah, lists of things to feel better about ourselves, God, but that we would walk away, um, or that 2014 would be a year marked by us knowing you deeply, and out of love, walking with you um, and glorifying you. And so, God, as I, as I work through this text, I pray that you would speak through me. Um, I pray that um, what Peter was trying to say to the church then would be what I say now, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Second Peter, uh, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Okay, so we, we tend to take um, the beginning of letters and kind of skip through the intro and get to, well, what's he really trying to say? But Peter's intro has, has a lot there, and so we're going to kind of hunker down on verse 1 and 2 for a second. For a second, I mean minutes. Um, Peter introduces himself, and he says, hey, it's me, Simon Peter. I'm writing to you. I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus. Okay? What he's saying there is Christ had given Peter the authority to lead the church. He had entrusted the church to Peter. Yet, Peter, in the order in which he presents himself, says, Hey, look, first I want you to know that I'm a servant of Christ. Um, he doesn't see his authority that Christ had given him as something to be grasped, to be, to be taken um, hold of and flaunted. But rather, he understands that in his brokenness, he is unworthy before God, and therefore, his life is not his own. It's kind of what Treb talked about two weeks ago before Christmas, that when Christ says, come, follow me, what he's saying is, come, take your cross, and your life is no longer your own. And so Peter is acknowledging, look, Christ is not only my Savior, but he's also 
my Lord. And so he, he says, I want you to know that. I want you to know that I'm leading this whole letter with humility and knowing that Christ is who I bow to. He is my Savior, and, and, and with that, my Lord. He goes on to say who he's writing to. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And so in its simplest form, we see Peter's writing to believers. Okay, he's writing to people who have confessed faith in Christ, um, who have surrendered their lives to him and his teaching. Uh, but there's several things in there I want to pull out. Namely, that he says, to those who through the righteousness of God have received, received faith. A lot of times I think we process through our walk with God and, and, and what we can do to glorify him as our own doing. Uh, but the biblical narrative is really not that it's us, and that, but that it's rather it's God. Um, and really, if we have any desire to walk with God whatsoever, it's because he has pursued us first. And so in a culture where, where we tend to, to look at our actions and give ourselves credit, the Bible really says this. It says that God has been good. God created the world in perfection. Out of his creativity, beauty flowed. And, and he created life, and it was good. And then out of that, somewhere along the lines, every single one of us decided that we would like to dethrone the king. That his beauty was not good enough. That we wanted some for ourselves. And so we selfishly kind of take over a moment here, a moment there, a day here, a week there. Yet, God was not satisfied to leave us alone. He pursued us through Christ. And not only that, but he came to dwell inside of us through the Holy Spirit and change us. And the result is faith or trust in Christ and who he is. And so the idea of me being the one that, that chose to have faith in Jesus is just not biblical. It's really that God pursued me when I was running away from him changed my heart to desire him, and then lead me to trust in the righteousness of Jesus, the one who performed perfectly for God when I could not. God gives us faith. The other thing um, that's, I think, really important in that first verse, um, in the NIV it says, a faith as precious as ours, but in the ESV it says, um, a faith of equal standing as ours. And what Peter's saying as he writes is he says, look, we all are, are sinful beggars in front of a, a holy God that has offered us grace. He has offered us favor when we don't deserve it. And therefore, we all have the righteousness of Christ covering us. Nothing to do, um, God's approval of us does not have to do with how good we have been, but rather how good Christ has been. Therefore, we're all equal in the kingdom of God. Your faith, even though I'm writing to you, maybe with authority, your faith is of equal value as mine because we are both cleansed by the blood of Christ. Pretty weighty intro, right? So Peter packs in this intro in verse 1. I'm going to go through quicker, I promise. Um, so verse 2, um, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is really the story that I just told you, the biblical narrative of God pursuing us even though we run away from him. It's unmerited favor. Okay, mercy is God kind of withholding patiently the punishment that we deserve, but grace is God lovingly pursuing us even when we run from him. And so Peter says, look, grace and peace to you in Christ. And what he's really saying is there is peace that accompanies grace. Okay, peace in our relationship with God. So as we're reconciled 
to God, there is now peace in this offensive relationship that we have caused. So there's now, we have, we can able, we can approach him with confidence, knowing that he loves us. But there's also peace that flows from us. The result of understanding, he says, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, of truly understanding at a heart level is a peaceful life. Like we have deep peace in our living because of this deep understanding of the grace of God. And I think it's true if you look throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New, as people meet God at first, there's this great fear. Um, I think of in Isaiah 6, Isaiah meets God in the temple, and he falls on his face as he hears the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And he says, I am an unclean man, or I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, I'm ruined. He really, what he really is saying is, I'm undone. I, I have... I have been unwound. I'm exposed before a holy God. Same thing happens with Peter. Uh, I don't know exactly. I think it's Luke 5. might be Mark 5. But he, he, it's when um, Jesus asks Peter if he can teach from his fishing boat. And then uh, after teaching, says, hey, let's fish. And Peter kind of doubts him and says, we've been fishing all night long. Oh, we haven't caught anything. I'm kind of an expert here. Kind of doubts Jesus' um, authority um, or holiness. And then they catch numerous fish, more than probably they've ever caught, Peter, understanding the holiness of Christ, falls on his face, says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Throughout scripture, the response is the same. As we come to meet God, there is this unrest because we come to realize he is holy and I'm sinful. And so out of my discomfort, I don't, I can't be near you. Yet there's this draw, I want to be near you because you are good and there's something in me that yearns for you, yet I know that I shouldn't because I'm exposed. Yet in both of those situations, God says, don't be afraid. And he cleanses sin. And then both Peter and Isaiah walk from that situation, respond to what God has done in peace in their relationship with him and in their lives. So when we realize that there, there's approval, approval from God, there's peace in our life. We become more peaceful. And what's interesting is Peter is, is here making a claim that peace flows from our life as we experience the grace of God. And really what he's saying, and he's supporting what Jesus has said, uh, what Jesus said in his ministry was that what we believe really affects who we are and what we do. It's not a very popular thought these days. A lot of people want to think, well, yeah, I believe that. And they'll, they'll say they believe something yet live in a way that, that completely contradicts it. And, and Jesus, in his ministry, said this is not possible. Um, Matthew 7, he says, or sorry, Mark 7, he says, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed, and then he, he lists evil things. So on, on one side, as we, as we believe things of God and his promises, our life reflects it. And likewise, when we do not, our life reflects him. So really, what we believe is who we are. Um, and so in my life, my, my, maybe my New Year's resolution is I want to live, love well um, in my relationships and acquaintances. Um, in order for us to truly grow spiritually, we kind of have to peel back the layers of the onion. Okay, so the symptom uh, is, is maybe that I don't, I don't love as well as I would like to. Okay, so underneath that, well, why don't I? Uh, I came up with two main reasons. One, uh, I get stressed or more concerned about what I need to get done. On any given day, just be real. I've got stuff to get done. And I would, I would love to help, and I try to help, 
and I can help for two minutes, um, or I can love you well for a, a second, but I've got stuff, right? Um, second thing is this. I want to make myself look better, like um, either in my eyes or, or other people's eyes, so I criticize and judge. Uh, and so these are, the, these are the two kind of main reasons that I can see if I peel back the layer of myself, okay, I don't love as well as I would like because primarily I'm concerned with what I need to get done and secondarily, um, secondly, I, I want to make myself look better. And so I can do that by putting you down. And it's sad and it's part of my sinful nature. Um, and, I, and it's not in line with scripture. The second greatest commandment was to love others as you desire to be loved. The reality is, is I need heart change, right? We've already established that I can't just make more comments to people to love them better, but I need something to change inside of me to flow outward. So as we move further, the question is, what's God's part in this and what's mine? Okay, so I'm going to read verse 2, and then I'm going to read through 4. He says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The reality is, is God does all the work. Like Peter establishes at the beginning, he says, look, grace to you. Grace is already there. Approval from God, favor from him, done. Christ, Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. So if we have, and I speak specifically to people that have surrendered their lives to Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, there's nothing left for you to do to earn favor before God. You will meet him one day and it will be beautiful. He has done the work in, and not only that, but he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to then grow here on earth before we meet him. Um, Peter says there is a divine nature that we receive. And from that divine nature, divine power. And, and so as God pursues us, he not only justifies us before, before himself, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit, which means we have a new heart. My desires slowly start to change. And as my desires change, really what's happening is I've received a new heart that's pumping new blood. Uh, and... And that new, fresh, healthy blood is blood that desires God and desires to walk with him. Up until this point, God has done everything, right? But Peter then goes on to say, he's talking about the knowledge of God, and he says, look, you can dwell on the knowledge of God. You can dwell on his promises, and you can dwell on his grace. And it will result in everything pertaining to life and godliness. On the flip side, really what we can say is every sin, I've heard it said, every sin can be traced back to a disbelief about God, God or his character. And I like to add his promises. So when I, when I sin, what I'm really doing is I'm not believing something that is true about God or something that is true about what he's done for me. Um, so in my own life, um, when I struggle with loving well in my living, Really, um, or, or really what I've discovered is I peel back the layer and I'm stressed about what I need to get done or I'm concerned about building myself up. Really what I'm doing is I'm believing or I'm not believing that he has already declared me valuable in Christ. 
I think that there's something I need to keep doing to be more valuable. The value God has declared over me in Christ is not enough for me. I'm not believing that. And so I have to criticize or judge other people to feel better about myself, or I have to accomplish things to feel successful, to feel more valuable. And it's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God has declared me valuable through Christ. However, I'm not believing it. And Peter says, look, his urge here, he urges us to dwell on what God has done for us, namely the good news of the gospel. And the result will be divine power pertaining to uh, divine power for everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we can focus diligently on circumstantial situations, right? This is how I love God. This is how I can love people better. And this situation comes up or this situation or whatever maybe your new spiritual New Year's resolution is. We can. We can make lists. Um, but what's more effective would be rather that we don't focus on our behavior, but focus on our hearts and what's going on with us and God. Peter goes on here to make a list in verse, uh, verses 5 through 7. He says, supplement your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Like, there are good things to focus on, but the point is not earning favor from God, but rather responding to what he's already done, knowing that there's nothing left for me to do um, to make him happy with me. So the challenge is this. What if, as covenant members or regular attenders of the vine, right, uh, we simply focus on seeing God as he is, more truly, in, in 2014? We focus instead on, rather than on all these little situations, and instead focus on, this is who I am, and I, God, I want to discover more of how actually I'm sinful. <laughs> I want to know, because I know that it's not my identity, and I know that you will heal me of it. I know that you're not going to judge me of it, so I'm, I'm okay to discover it. I'm okay to let other people know. I'm okay to stand up here and talk about how I don't love people well because God has declared me righteous in Jesus and there's nothing to hide. And so what if we as a church first discovered in 2014 a little bit better our sin instead of brushing it under the rug and trying to impress each other while at the same time discovering who God is and his promises and then responding um, to that truth. I'll give you a couple hypotheticals. Um, if, for, for things if you struggle with, okay? Um, for instance, if you struggle with anxiety, uh, maybe search scripture for ways God has promised you eternity with him or where he declares himself trustworthy. Uh, if you struggle with being impatient, search scripture for ways God has been unbelievably patient with you and that his character is patience. If you struggle with judging or comparing, search scripture for ways God could have judged you but because he is merciful and loving through Christ, he chose not to. If you struggle with impressing people, search scripture for ways God has deemed you infinitely valuable through Christ. If you struggle with feeling unworthy or depressed, search scripture for ways God has given you a purpose today. If you struggle with shame, search scriptures for ways God has paid your debt through Christ. Um, if, you, if you struggle with, um, lastly, motivation for pursuing godliness, if there's a sin in your life, if there is a specific thing you're trying to conquer and you just do not have motivation to confront it, look through scripture and discover how costly it was for the holy God of the universe to die on the cross for you. Allow your heart, not just your head, but your heart to be engaged with that reality. Peter even says it here in verse 9. He says, but if anyone does not have these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. 
when we first become believers, um, we're presented with the fact that God is holy and that we're sinful. And, and we face that fact and, and we see that the cross, the cross is, is bridging that gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. But as we mature as believers, it's not that we become more and more, um, I want to say this right. This is recording, and so I have to be right theologically because treble. Um, just kidding. Um, I care about what I say. Um, it's not simply that we just get our behaviors together and we just appear less sinful for the rest of our lives. It's not like this quick, not sinful. But rather, as we grow, we realize, wow, I'm actually this sinful. And God is actually that holy. The cross must be that much bigger. And then as I, as I peel back onions in my life, as I go 5, 10, 20 years of walking with Jesus, I realize, wow, I'm struggling with this deep heart sin after we realize kind of a symptom. And, and God is this holy. The cross must have cost that much. And really, our love for the Lord grows and grows and grows in intensity. And so, really, what Peter's saying is if we lack motivation, um, if, we, if we lack motivation to walk in godliness, what he's saying is consider Christ, consider God, consider the holiness of him who created you and loved you and then died for you. So ultimately, I just kind of gave you, I guess I gave you a list, but it's not really a list. Um, I, I gave you hypotheticals that if you struggle with, man, there's a beauty in, the, in God's, God's word that we can discover of things that he has already said is true of us. We just struggle with believing. So I didn't just command you to read the Bible or pray or memorize more verses, um, but rather as we come to grow in our relationship with God, we experience this freedom to believe more deeply what he has already said is true of us. We're free to pursue him, free to read his word, to simply enjoy him more. Why wouldn't we? You know? There's peace, Peter says, that results from it. And so kind of to close, my hope for 2014 is that we'd be a church that exhibits the love of Christ, right? That we would, the love of Christ would be busting from the seams of this church, but not because we're really great people about being diligent and about making great lists and about checking things, but rather that we'd be people that have tasted the Lord, understood how deep and significant his grace is toward us as we surrender to him. And that we would act on trusting the promises and trusting his character. Nothing will unite a church. Not fighting an injustice, not a cool pastor, not a cool building, um, no mission. Nothing will unite a church and make it last forever. Except for one thing. It's the gospel of Jesus. And it is the good news that we have all tasted a holy God that has forgiven us. Um, from there, we'll be able to last and to grow together because that truth goes through all races, goes through all ages, goes through all backgrounds. And we'll find unity there. Um, Peter says, kind of, kind of to close in verse 8, he says, um, if you heed, if you um, dwell in the promises of God, you will not be unfruitful or useless in the kingdom of Jesus. It's incredible news. Let me pray.